Hello and welcome to Thousand Yard Stare. I'm your host, John Morrison. Well, I started a new job the other day. I am a carpenter by trade. That is my day job. And the new place of employment, of course, uh, before you can go actually onto the job site, you have to go through safety procedures, safety orientation, uh, and so forth. And of course, I was confronted with the inevitable COVID screening test. And it was just simply a questionnaire, nothing too invasive, just fill it out. But the other carpenter who started with me on the same day, he was starting the same day as me, and he just grabbed this piece of paper, slapped it on the table, and proceeded to let out a expletive streak. (laughs) Many words that I can't repeat, of course, here on a family program. Let's just say they're the seven words that you cannot say on network television and stated in no uncertain terms that he was in no way going to fill this out and it was a scam and so on and so forth. Uh, now, the young young man who was convening the meeting, a safety rep, he's, he represents the builder, was convening the meeting and he's the safety rep and he was caught completely flat-footed. Um, he was rattled a little bit, but he kept his, he kept his composure for the most part because I'm sure he's run into this before from different construction workers. But he explained to him, he goes, listen, he goes, whether you believe it or not, you have to do it. If the Ministry of Labor, Ministry of Labor are the agency who polices uh, safety issues in construction and industry here in the province of Ontario, where I'm originating from, if they turn up and they see you without a mask, and I should, uh, uh, in this point, interject that you don't have to actually wear the mask, You just have to carry it on your person for all the sense that makes. You just have to carry it with you. If you don't have it, he says, they will send you down the road and there's nothing I could do for you. And the carpenter just just nodded his head. He goes, no problem. That's fine. Are you fine with that, the rep rep said? Yeah, no problem, he says. And you know what? He was telling the truth. He is uh, fine. If the Ministry of Labor comes along and terminates him, he will walk out of there, grab his tools and simply go to another job, maybe a residential firm, maybe his own business, where he can uh, ply his trade, and he'll be, all, he'll be all right, he'll land on his feet. So, his, his livelihood is based on his skill. The livelihood of the safety rep, however, is based on towing the party line. That builder safety rep might have agreed with that carpenter, but God forbid he would ever speak it out loud. His livelihood is based on on towing the party line. The safety rep must repeat what the mantra is, or his career will be in jeopardy. Because how many safety rep jobs are available? Here in the city of Toronto right now, we have a construction boom going on, and... There actually are quite a few safety rep jobs, but in comparison to the tradesperson, it's not even close. And I'm saying all this to say that a corporate environment that he, the safety rep, lives in does not encourage critical thinking. If they say, if your brass, corporate brass says the earth is flat, you say the earth is flat. And I think our children need to know that at a very early age. That when they talk about embarking on a career path, they need to know that corporate culture, be it government or private sector, 
is antithetical to the culture of inquiry. Man-made global warning, warming, excuse me, orange man bad, COVID deniers are evil, toxic masculinity is the problem, white supremacy, etc. Nod your head, don't question. You might get terminated. So the, the inverse of that is somebody like my cousin. My cousin has a roofing business in Western Ontario. He has a good reputation in the community and he specializes in ripping off and replacing roofs for old homes. Anybody inside the, the know in the business and the trades can tell you that that is a very specialized niche. A lot of roofing companies can bang on a new roof onto a new home. Select few can actually rip off an old roof off a hundred-year-old home and then seal it up and make it dry inside. That's a knack and a skill that not as many possess. So my point is he's indispensable to a lot of people. People that own own, own old homes, character homes, he is your guy. Now I should go on to say that he shares a conservative worldview. And he does speak openly and freely with his customers about his opinions. And he's mentioned that on occasion they have kind of reared back and kind of a little bit, but a little bit rankled by what he says about concerning gay marriage or some sort of thing, or maybe about a remark about Justin Trudeau. But guess what? They pay him in full and they will call him back for future jobs like that because he has the leverage. Tradespeople have that ability to speak their minds and not worry about ramifications. Cars have to run, houses need to be roofed, wired, plumbed, merch has to be delivered, yards must be landscaped. You see, small business people are not as susceptible to groupthink. Elites know this and are frustrated. Uh, if you're in a corporate setting, the government can force the brass of that corporation to comply with whatever regulation they see fit to put to pass down and the corporation says this is what you will do and if it, 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 it filters down through the into the rank and file and they follow in lockstep doing exactly what the government says to do but small business people are just not that vulnerable to that they have their smaller power structure it's me the business owner and maybe a few employees and they are the ones who are more likely to question what is going on in society and they understand that because they are small business people, they are independent by nature and they're less likely to follow. They're more leaders by nature. And the elites of the international elites, the power structures that be, they know this and they're frustrated. These pesky little business owners who won't who are raising static about shutting down their businesses and they refuse to understand the scope of this threat, this COVID threat. And they're poisoning the minds of other people and causing disunity among the people and raising wild conspiracy theories and this sort of thing. So they're frustrated. So 
Imagine if you had a population of people just like that, but we don't. We have a smaller population who are in business, small business. We have a bigger part of the population who have come up through the education system and they gravitate into the corporate world, which makes you more of a drone than an independent thinker. Now, not all kids are cut out for the aforementioned vocations I just cited. And, you know, I'm not here to denigrate professionals, but to remind parents to, to emphasize to their children that anything in a corporate setting requires complete capitulation to an upper power structure. So, say your, your, your boy wants to grow up to be a lawyer or your daughter wants to be, grow up to be an attorney. And you've raised them with conservative worldview. Well, they may have exemplary grades in law school, score uh, really high on an entrance exam to get into grad school, high entrance exam to pass the bar, land a position with a prestigious law firm, but they still have those down-home, middle-sense, conservative values that you tried to inculcate with them in, in, with them in uh, early age. So they're not going to be as likely to go along with what's being propagated in social media or the media or academia. But at the same time, they're human beings. They'll get friendly with other members of the law firm. And they may speak freely, maybe over a liquid lunch or a couple of drinks uh, after on the Friday social, drink social. And so more of their conservative views may spell out there. Or they may like something on social media, one of their other cohorts see it. It gets passed around and the word gets around that the person maybe is not really running with the traffic in terms of politically correctness. So further up the totem pole, they will see that and your son or daughter will not make that coveted law partner position. They will be relegated to that position in the law firm at best, and who knows, could be even drummed out of the whole organization. Um, the way cancel culture goes these days, the way people pile on, that's what, that's what could happen. So this is not to dissuade your child from whatever, however they feel inclined to go, but just to warn them of the dangers of that. And it's very important to understand that, that danger and understand the level of individual integrity they need to maintain when they go into that situation. Because people talk about the social credit situation in China. Uh, people not familiar, that means uh, in China, if you hold views that are contrary to the con ruling, controlling uh, Communist Party, Chinese Communist Party, they literally will dock you social credit points, which could mean that when you're using the public transportation system, you can't use it. All of a sudden, your card is jammed up. You can't fly on certain airlines, certain rail, railway transportation you can't take. And it's just a way of punishing you and make your everyday life more difficult. But I maintain that the social credit system exists here as well. It's actually a little more insidious than there, and I'll tell you why, because it actually occurs from your fellow man, the citizen here, as opposed to the actual government. Your, your friend or your neighbor can see something that you 
posted in Facebook, said on Twitter you liked, and they can turn around and shun you. That shunning can trans can transform into a hard life. It's not career. It's not viable to have a conservative position in today's corporate society. So your child needs to cultivate their personal talent in such a way that they can be indispensable to an employer's end game. So that's what I mean by my cousin the roofer. His end game is to get the home dry by putting on a solid roof. And it has to look right. His personal beliefs are secondary in the minds of the customer. So if your child can aspire to that kind of career, then I believe we have a better hope of that child growing up to be a critical thinker, which is what we want here at Thousand Yard Stare. We're about not politics, not legislation, but about really instilling in our children the skills of critical thinking, the culture of inquiry, the belief that just because someone in authority says it does not mean it's true automatically. And this is not to say that every child is going to be a roofer or a carpenter or an electrician or a plumber. But they just need to cultivate their talent in whatever whatever profession they go forward in that will allow them that kind of independence. In today's technology and cyberspace, it does offer a lot of opportunities for freelancing that uh, really didn't exist before in history. Uh, my son, very young, he is, a, he is into games, of course, video games, nothing unusual. But what's more, he's into designing. He designs his own video games. He even found a, a software application where he can design his own game. And my uh, idealized goal for him is that he will achieve proficiency in that level of game designing. That could be his ticket in life, as you will. He could be a freelancer. In other words, he would be the person that could design these games and that corporations would sit back and say, hey, I like his game and people are buying it. And it's his game. It's his signature. He has a style about him that is market friendly. People are warming up to it. And so that will afford him the independence that he would not get in a structured setting on a payroll in a totem pole working his way up the totem pole, answering to his superiors, that sort of thing, that sort of existence. So, as I record, the great uh, rock guitarist Edward Van Halen passed away yesterday. And that hit me personally. I'm not going to lie. I'm an 80s teenager. So, that particular band, Van Halen... uh, the centerpiece of that band being Edward Van Halen, passed away at the age of 65. And it kind of ties into what I'm talking about today. Uh, the Van Halens, uh, his family came over from the Netherlands to Southern California when he was very young, didn't speak a word of English. Kind of that American immigrant success story. 
He was a piano uh, prodigy. He won competitions, classical uh, piano competitions as a very young child all over Southern California. And then he picked up the electric guitar as a, you know, shortly after that, and the rest is history. I mean, it was just, uh, if you listen to a Van Halen record and you listen to that uh, sound that he produced, it was uh, out of this world. It was kind of Jimi Hendrix on steroids. And he played so beautifully that, uh, you know, nobody cared what his politics were. Um, they, were not, they, were non, they were a non-political band. They were kind of emblematic of the age. 1980s excess commercialism. Uh, they celebrated uh, all things rock and roll. So um, not necessarily the healthiest message, healthiest lifestyle uh, projected by that, that band. They were uh, heavy metal, not, not heavy metal, they were more classified as hard rock. But they paved the way for many metal bands. They were kind of a template setting for that 1980s uh, hard rock sound. But my point in saying is that Edward Van Halen has such a distinct guitar sound. The record labels bowed to him because the power of his raw, unfettered talent and technical savvy. So here's a kid, an immigrant kid from nowhere, and he just devoted himself to the guitar and came out with this this sound that he developed on his own. And it was just that kind of sound that people just immediately warmed up to. I think the first time I heard it as a young boy, uh, about 12, my friend played it for me in his living room on those old 1970s turntables, had those two giant speakers, and eruption just came out of those speakers, this sound of eruption. And it's one of those songs I'll, I'll never forget the first time I heard it. There's certain music, musical bands you listen to through your lifetime and you remember the first time you heard it and you always remember it leaves, leaves such an impression and when that sound came out of those speakers it just shook the ground and gave me goosebumps I couldn't believe it what is this and it was like a child when I was very early I remember very early in childhood tasting ice cream and thinking what is that and where can I get more of that that was Van Halen's sound so the execs needed his commodity that was unique to him. You know, he, he held the balance of power. And it was so powerful that uh, if a promoter wanted to fill 30,000 seats in a stadium, you'd, you'd get him out there to play guitar. That's how you get people to pay, what is it, $30, $40 for a ticket. 30,000 of those and get them to pay $50 for a t-shirt because all centered around the sound of his guitar, the riff. I mean, it was the whole package. The whole band was an amazing uh, package as far as, as, far as a, a performance, not just the him on the guitar, but it was the blend of everything that just made it an unbelievable uh, performance. And at that time, of course, it was... Live, live music was a little more special because there was no internet at that time. There was music video. But uh, now kids are a little more jaded because they have access to all the video you want on YouTube. There's endless hours of concert footage of every band you want, you know, all the time. But at that time, a live performance was, was rare and special. And they perfected that as well, not just in the studio, but also in the concert. 
Oh. So my point is, the brass, the organizations, the power structures had to accommodate him and what he wanted. He wrote the ticket because they knew that at the end of the day, though that corporate exec was not selling records, the kid was, the kid's sound was selling it. So he had that indispensable talent that was critical to their end game and that was selling, making money. And let me say something about large organizations in general, just hide sub-skilled people. People with no merit backstab to climb the ladder and feather their own nest. So people with no talent can be in a corporate setting and they can see somebody else they see more talented than them and they can use whatever character assassination smear tactic they can to suppress that other person and leave that spot open for them. And our education system, both primary and secondary, does not encourage entrepreneurial thinking. Um, If your child follows what the school, public school system is selling, they will be a cog in the corporate wheel spouting whatever is politically correct out of self-preservation, not truth. And that is a very grim way to live. And it makes us citizens vulnerable to the dark forces of elitist control freak leftists who have infiltrated the departments of HR departments of modern corporate America. And of course, the federal government, which is from where I stand are one and the same. So this is about the future. Instill independence in your child. And when they are adults, they will be critical thinking, common-sensed individuals and not a leftist drone.